So of those things that are mentioned, I do want to say we have, a, we have an emphasis to be academically excellent. We want our students to be pushed academically. And, and uh, some of the classes are easier than others, as is anywhere else. Um, but that is important to us. Another thing that we, we mentioned up here a little bit is uh, our, our practical ministry emphasis. We push our students to get into local churches and not just go there, but to be involved. We have a Christian service report, and one of the things on there is, what additional ministries did you take part in this week, other than the ones that you are required to take part in? We want them to be involved. We know that when you're involved in something that you're training for, your desire for that training will be increased. You'll see the, more, the importance for it a little bit more. But even more important than the practical uh, aspects of ministry training or, or the academics of it, we feel like if a person graduates and they were involved in their local church, and they got good grades, big deal. If they didn't grow in the Lord while they were an ambassador, we feel like we failed. We feel like we haven't done the job that we want to do. And sure, that takes two parts. That takes the student, and that takes us. But we want to help with that. We want to see them grow. We want to t- see them take steps of maturity in, their, in their, their walk as a human being and in their walk as a Christian. We want to help them with that. And So those are some things about ambassador that I think make us unique. And, uh, and frankly, I think that there's not... Any other school that does as good a job as we do is training people for the ministry, and that's what we want to be. We want to be that tech school for ministry. So if you have questions, if you'd like to talk to us, if you want to grab some information, we'll be at our table out afterwards. We'd like to help you with that as much as we can. But in the meantime, if you turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3. When I was four years old, my parents went on a vacation to Hawaii, and they didn't take me. They left me with some, they left me with some family friends, and uh, my sister as well, and we lived in Kansas at that time, and they took a short trip to Kansas City, where the airport was, and they were going to spend the night there before they left on the airplane flight, and they got a phone call that evening that uh, our house was on fire, and so they rushed back down, and, and uh checked it out, and by the time anybody that got there that could have done anything, uh, it didn't matter. The house was, it was gone, completely gone. I still remember, I was only four, but I remember in my mind seeing it. I remember what was left. I remember there was a refrigerator standing there, but it was burnt. There was a filing cabinet that was still standing, but it was burnt, and everything else was just ashes on the ground. And I remember there was water in, in the basement area, but that, but that water might have been just because of rain or if somebody tried to, to put the fire out, that's, that's all that was left. Um, everything in the house was, was gone. There was a few things that did remain. There was a car in the parking, in our, in our parking area out front, but the headlights were melted. Uh, I think the paint was, some of the things on the front of it were different. I don't remember all that. I know that I survived with a, remember the little Hot Wheels that you had with the two small ones in the, in the back? And, but uh, they were a little melted, just a little bit. I, I could still use it, but it was in that kind of condition. And that's just the way things were. And I've often thought about that. I have a friend whose house burnt down a couple years ago. And I've often thought, what are the things that if I had, they say, don't take anything out but people. Uh, But what were the things that if I had an opportunity to grab something on my way out, what would those things be? And as I think about it, there are things that are important to me. And there are are things that are important to me, not because of a monetary value, but because of a greater value. And, And I don't say that you know, to think anything spiritual, but there's, uh, I have, we all have more than one Bible, we're blessed to have that, but there's a Bible that I have 
that that would be the one Bible that I would want to take out of my house if I could take anything else, else out. I, mean, I would probably leave the one I have with, with me tonight, uh, but the other Bible that I have, the one that I had in some very transformative times in my life, that's what I would take, just because it's important to me. There are other Bibles that I could read. That's not, that's not the point, but it is very valuable to me. And to be honest with you, the Bible should be the most valuable thing we own anyway. It is our lifeline to God. It is what we need the most. I need the Bible. I need the Bible every day. I need the Bible every time of the day. I need the Bible for all kinds of things. Not just when things are bad or when I have a need in my life, but all the time. There are things that I have as needs in my life. I need that connection with God. I need to be stabilized. Sometimes I need to be healed or I need to be corrected. And the Word of God gives us that. You need the Bible. Your pastor needs the Bible. Everybody needs the Bible. There's nobody in this world that is without that need. This is God's avenue of communication to us about himself, about us, about the corrections that we need to make so that we can be in a right relationship with him, so that we can know that our sins are forgiven, so that we can know that we're on our way to heaven, so that we can help other people and the needs in their lives. We need God's word. And Paul is writing to Timothy, preparing Timothy for some things. And in this passage, he says in the beginning that perilous times shall come in the last days. Well, we're experiencing not just the last days, but some of those perilous times. He says there's going to be persecution. He says, Timothy, you know the persecution that I faced because I've preached the word of God. And Timothy, you will face persecution. And all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But, he says, continue in the things which you have learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And then he says in verse 16, and I want you to notice that with me. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. I want to preach to you tonight on why we need the Bible, why we must be in God's Word. Let's pray. Father, we do need you tonight. Lord, it would be foolish of us as humans to say that, oh, we can understand the Word of God. We don't need, we don't need God's help, but we do. There are many things that we don't know the depths of your meaning of these things, but we know that you can teach us. We do thank you that you have given us the Holy Spirit, and tonight, Lord, there may be somebody that needs to be changed completely in the matter of salvation, and Lord, I know that you can do that, and Lord, I pray that you would work that in their heart. Do the work that we can't do, Lord, and you so, so graciously want to do, and we ask that you would do that. Lord, somebody may need to be comforted tonight, Lord, and the, I know that with your word, you can do that. Some may need to be challenged, corrected. Lord, I know that you can do that just as graciously as you give comfort. And Lord, I pray that you would have your will, your will, Lord, that your work would be done tonight, that your power would be in this place. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul gives these three things. And the first we see is in verse 16. He says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That's the very first reason why we ought to be in God's Word, is because it's inspired. It's God's book. It's no, there is no book like this book. I like to read, uh, and I like to read all different kinds of things, but it is very, very, very rare that I will read a book twice. I like to listen to music, but it's pretty rare for me to say, oh, hey, that one's over. Let's, let's 
start it all over again and listen to it again. I want to put something else in. There's at least one of my kids would listen to the same thing over and over. My wife would listen to the same thing over and over. I've listened to it once. I want to put it away for a while. I need something new. I, I don't like to watch a movie more than once. It's just, it gets old. I know the end of the story, right? But the Word of God is unbelievable in the sense that you can read it over and over and over again. And every time you do, you're going to find something that it just seems like, how did I never see that before? And sometimes it, it blows your mind and, and it opens up to you in a way that there's still stories that I read and I say, I don't understand how I've missed this in the past or I don't see how I missed that one word and oh, how much that one word makes a difference. That's because it's inspired. It's God's book and it can do that. You know, it is amazing that over 40 authors in over 1,500 years, three continents, uh, and three different languages, these men don't disagree on the main principles of God, of salvation, and how to live a right life between uh, us and God. There's no disagreements, and that's because it is inspired. God was guiding in the words chosen by the authors. This does not mean an auto-dictation where as, as, a, as a scribe or someone was sitting there writing, they would hear a word from the Lord and they would write that word down. It's not like that at all. Somebody said it's like a ship sailing in the waters. That ship is not going to move anywhere unless it has wind filling its sails and moving it. And that God is like that wind and the sails of the author as they wrote down so that every word that they wrote down was exactly the word that God wanted it to be. That is inspiration. Not the same kind of inspiration that somebody sits down and says, well, I'm going to play the piano because I feel like it, and, and that's what they do. And maybe they write music, or maybe somebody writes a poem, or, or however that works. It's not the same kind of inspiration, but I'm sure there were times when the Apostle Paul sat down to write a letter to a church, and he knew that God was moving him, that God was telling him what to write. And God used their personalities. If you read the, the writings of, of Paul, you'll notice they're distinctly different from the writings of Luke. They say Luke's vocabulary is larger than any other New Testament writer, and that's because he was a doctor. God used their unique individual personalities, backgrounds, and education to more effectively write what he wanted them to write. Their perspective, that's why we have four Gospels, because we have different perspectives on the same events. That's why perception was a little different, because it was a different person from each different angle. Peter's hard to read sometimes. Sometimes you think, Peter, would you just stop and put a period there, end the sentence and start another one, so that I can understand what you're trying to tell me? But Peter was a fisherman. He wasn't a grammarian. But in, his, in this inspiration... Every word is exactly what God wants it to be. That gives us some things. First of all, it, it gives us accuracy. We can know that since it's God's book, since it is He that was writing it, that is without error. It is infallible on all matters. And it has been said in the past that scientists or historians will say, well, that was just, they're wrong. These Bible authors really didn't know. It's not about the Bible authors, it's about God. And God did know, and we find out, science finds out later, oh, we were wrong, and the Bible was right, but they're not going to tell you that the Bible was right. It's, for a long time, it was believed that the Hittites never existed, that that was only fiction from Scripture until a civilization was dug up that mentioned the Hittites, and they say, oh, well, maybe they did exist. You know, I don't need history, I don't need archaeology, and I don't need science to confirm the Bible. It's God's book. It's confirmed. You know, there was that bumper sticker that used to say, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. But really, it doesn't matter if I believe it, does it? God said it, and that settles it. <coughs> Excuse me. But accuracy, since it's inerrant, since it's infallible, 
That tells me that I can believe it. That I don't have to be worried if there's parts in here that may or may not be true. I heard a preacher one time, and, and I like to hear this preacher, but he was in a, in a forum where people were asking questions, and, and he was answering questions, and I liked the way that he was answering those questions, but the, the guy that he was partnering with, that he agrees with on many things, but definitely not all things, was, was giving an explanation of something. Now, the person that, that I'm referring to, he, he believes in the inspiration of Scripture down to every word. The problem was that he was partnering with the man that began to talk about creation in the sense that, it, that God used what we would say is theistic evolution, that God used evolution to create the world. And I thought to myself, you know, you shouldn't be partnered with that guy. How can you tell me that every word of God is true, but then this guy that you're partnered with is telling me that Genesis chapter 1 and 2 may not be completely true? That God is telling us in a different way. That that's not what he did. That he used evolution. No, God said that he spoke it into existence in Genesis chapter 1. All of Scripture is true. And that's what he's saying. All Scripture, all of it, is given by inspiration of God. I had somebody ask me one time, why, why do evangelists sometimes preach out of the Old Testament? It's almost like they're just telling stories. Well, I'll tell you, sometimes it's easier to find biblical principles in a narrative or something that describes God in a narrative. But here's an answer for you. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That's why somebody preaches out of the Old Testament. Because all of it's given. It's all inspired. It's a special book. It gives accuracy, I can believe it. And another thing, it gives authority. Jesus said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Now, there's different words for power, but that specific word that Jesus said is the word authority. All authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. And he says, go, go therefore and teach all nations. So with all this authority that's given to him, he's telling us to go. But at the same time, we can take that and say, this is the word of God. God has all authority that there ever will be in all the universe and if he said what this book says, then it's as if he's right here today telling us that. And it has his authority. <coughs> and if it has his authority, that means I must obey it. Not just I can believe it, but I must obey it. And that's tough. Someone said, I think it was Mark Twain, that said, it's not the parts of Scripture that I don't understand that bother me, it's the parts that I do understand that bother me. Because those are sometimes the ones that are hard for us to conform our lives to. But I preached this morning, and one of my points had to do with submission and surrender. And I believe that submission and surrender are tied very closely to trust. If you don't trust someone, you won't submit yourself to them. And the same is true with us and God. If we do not trust Him, we will not submit ourselves to Him. We will not obey what He says in His Word. We'll want to change that and say, well, he was speaking to these people who lived 2,000, 3,000 years ago, and, and, and the culture is different. God wrote this book so that no matter what culture it is being preached to, no matter what time in the universe it is being preached, it is still true, and it is still relevant to our lives. I must obey the Word of God. But it's illuminating. God has given us His Word. It is His Word. But He hasn't left us unable to understand it, he has given us his Holy Spirit. If you're a saved person here today, you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you. Indwelling you, as John chapter 16 says, to guide you into all truth. <coughs> the Holy Spirit has been given to us to teach us his word, to help us to understand it. And I'm glad for that. 
Now, that does not mean that I'm going to understand every part of Scripture just because I have the Holy Spirit with me. I don't know that I'll understand any all of it until the day that I die and I'm with the Lord. And there may be times in heaven that I have to sit down and say, Lord, could you teach me this? Because I still don't quite understand this. And, and I will say there are definitely parts of Scripture that are more thrilling or seemingly more applicable to my life than others. You know, First and Second Chronicles don't seem to hit me the same way that John 3.16 does. I've experienced John 3.16. I haven't experienced genealogies like they have. Now, to a Jewish person, that may be very exciting to them. They may say, that's my history, that's my family, that's whatever they may say. But it's still all inspired by God, and it's there for a reason. It still ought to be read. And I believe this, that God will bless you for reading it, even if you don't understand it. Because that's who God is. God wants us to know Him. God wants us to understand His workings throughout all time, throughout all people. But it's illuminating, and that means that I can understand it. That doesn't mean we need to rewrite Scripture, the parts that we don't understand, make it simpler so that everybody can understand it, because we're told in 1 Corinthians that it is spiritually understood, that it is not going to be understood apart from the Holy Spirit. The person who is unwilling to submit to Scripture is not going to understand Scripture. But the person who says, I am willing, I want to obey, they can begin to understand it because that is the person that God wants to teach. It's also miraculous, and that means it changes lives. I think every person in this room that's come to Christ as their Savior understands the miraculous power of the Word of God. That time in your life where you began to realize probably through preaching, probably through some kind of reading of the Word of God, you began to realize that you're a sinner. And that conviction was something unlike anything else you've ever felt. That conviction, that, that intellectual understanding that you needed something, that you were guilty before God, that your sin is what put Jesus Christ on the cross. And at the same time, the understanding that Jesus Christ, in God's grace, would come and die for us. The heartbreak that maybe that gave you. That understanding that, wow, God really does love me. I don't really understand why, and I don't really understand why He would even think about me, just this person who grew up in this place and have done these things. Why God would care enough for me, but He did. And the Word of God began to change your life from the inside out. And if you have given your life to God, then you see on a daily basis that God wants to be changing you. I know that there were times when I was a teenager that I had decided to do wrong. There were things that I, they were in my plans. This is what I want to do. I want to take part in this. I want to listen to that. I want to watch this. I want to be involved in this. And I knew that they were wrong. But as a saved person, I knew that they were wrong. And I knew that God was working in my heart. I knew what God was saying to me. I knew I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't be making these plans. And as much as I wanted to close my eyes to, to those things, as much as I wanted to turn them behind my back, as much as I wanted to kind of close my ears to what God was saying, God was still speaking to me. And he was telling me things that I knew were true in his word. Not, that it, not as if I had memorized them in my head, but just things that I knew about what God wanted for me. And that is the power of God through his word. This book brings God's power in a way that I think we take for granted. If you look back at King Josiah, here he is, eight years old, comes to be king. I don't know how all this worked out. I don't know what, came, what influence came in his life that he said, hey, we need to clean out the temple. 
But it had been laid, it had been laid waste for a long enough time that the priests, when they found this book, they didn't realize what it meant. It was the book of the law. It was the Bible. I don't know how you forget the Bible when you're Jews. I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you lose it in the temple. I don't know how the temple gets dirty and, and lays waste. I don't understand that. But when he said, well, read it to me, and somebody read him the book of the law, they read him the Bible, and he tears his clothes, and he says, we are in trouble because our nation is not doing what God told us to do, and if we don't do what God told us to do, as he said, that we are going to face punishment, as he said. The word of God began to convict him him and it brought change not only in his life but throughout the whole kingdom the whole kingdom was turned upside down for God because of the power of God's word we need to trust in the power of God through his word we need to trust in that because we have great needs in our own lives we have great needs in the lives of those around us, whether it's a teenager in our life or, or a relative or someone that we're praying for that they need to be saved it's not going to be your convincing argument. It's going to be the Word of God in prayer. The Word of God is like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. And we need to trust in God and trust in His Word. It's those little principles of God's Word that will change a person. You may say, well, I don't really feel like I'm growing right now. And I don't really, sometimes I go through these spells where I, I'm reading God's Word, but I just don't feel like I'm growing. You know, my kids don't think they're growing either, but they are. They are. You, you can't, it's hard to measure from day to day. But sometimes the best growth is slow growth. It's strength. And God doesn't want wispy plants that grow up in a day and then they're dead because of the heat of the sun. He wants strong trees that are established and their roots grow deep. But that's going to take you patiently staying in God's Word because you believe that it's God's book. Paul says it's inspired, and then also in verse 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The second reason, he says, is instruction. It gives us instruction. Some of this instruction is, is doctrine. It's straight teaching from God's Word. Now, as a parent, as a husband, uh, Christmas has come, and Sometimes the wife, what she wants is, is extra cabinet space. And that's one of the first gifts that I bought my wife was this, this cabinet thing. And we had to, I had to put it together. And, uh, and I think, well, I'm pretty handy. I can do this. And sure, I was putting it together, right place, right piece in the right place. But what I learned is most of those things, it's not just putting the right piece in the right place, but it's putting the right piece in the right place at the right time. And if you go too far down the road, you say, why isn't this going together? And then you realize, it's because I didn't put it together at the right time. And I found that you often have to take it all apart and start all over again. You, know, you get down the road in some things, it can really mess you up. And the same is true with life. You can do some right things at the wrong time. You can do some wrong things too. But if we follow the instructions, we can do things in the right order, in the right place, at the right time, and it's going to work out the right way. Because that's the way God designed it to be. And this is his instruction book. You know, there's some things that, that you don't understand about eschatology and end times. You, there's some things you don't understand about the way the church works. It's going to be in his book. It's going to be in his book. And we can learn doctrine from his book. Sometimes we just need a good reproof. You know, not all messages are like that. But some messages really rebuke us. 
You know, if you're here today and, and you don't have a consistent Bible reading time, maybe God's really rebuking you today, saying you need a consistent Bible reading time in your life. But it could be that you're here today and you have a consistent Bible reading time, and this same message is an encouragement to you. That's the way God works. It's loving either way it is. But it's a reproof. It's a correction. It's instruction in righteousness. We need the correction of the Word of God in our lives. We need it to help us do the right things at the right time. But lastly, I want you to notice in verse number 17, he says that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. This is the intention of the Word of God. Not just that it's inspired, not just that it has instruction for us, but with the intent that God will make you the person that he wants you to be. My wife likes to watch these home remodeling shows, you know, and they're okay, they're, they're interesting. Uh, I could watch the show in probably a lot less time, you know, five minutes, show me the before, show me the after, and, and we're good. Um, but I find that it's interesting. Some things really annoy me. Uh, the people that go in and say, well, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, and it seems like every time, oh, there's a load-bearing wall that we didn't know was there. And I'm like, well, you didn't learn the first 50 times what a load-bearing wall looks like? It's not that hard to figure out. And, uh, oh, it's going to cost you $10,000 more or something. There's always some kind of drama they want to spin into it, okay? But at the end of the show, my biggest questions are these. When they furnish all those rooms, they put new stove in there, new couches, new everything, everything. I know they want to make it look, look like it's lived in, and they might want to, uh, they want to make it fit the style that they're trying to go for, but who pays for that? Who pays for that? Do they take it away when the show's over and put your old stuff back in? Or, or do they pay for it and you just keep it? And what if you wanted your old dresser that your wife doesn't like but you do? Well, what happens to that thing? I'm not bitter. I just have one like that, all right? Um, what happens to that dresser? What, what happens to that couch that, man, it was so comfortable and, and now you have to sit on this thing that looks good but it's not comfortable? Who, who, where does that go? What happens to it? Do, do they make you pay the, I don't know, $80,000 to furnish your whole house with new stuff that maybe you didn't want, but you have it now? Where does it come from? I don't know. They do it for a reason. They do it so they can sell the product that they're trying to sell. But God wants to make your life completely furnished. Every room, every spot, having the right things in the right place. You know, people often say, well, I'm not good at that, that particular ministry, or I'm not really comfortable with that, or, or I just, I'm not, I've never done that before. That's okay. That's okay. God wants to make you able and fit to do that, and he's going to do that through the Word of God. And it is amazing how God does that, how he can change an angry person to be controlled by peace. How he can take a person maybe is confused and maybe they have a hard time making life decisions, but God can show them through his word how to make wise decisions in their life. This is the word of God to equip you to do the things that God wants you to do in your life so that you don't have the excuse, well, I just don't know how to do that. You know, to say that is almost saying, well, I haven't been in the word of God like I ought to have been. And the truth is, God's not always looking for people that are completely equipped but people that are completely available. People that are saying, Lord, I'll do it. I'm not good at this, but, but I'll step in there. I'll try. I'll do my best. And then those are the people that are usually going to do the best job because they care, because they, because they want to serve the Lord. They don't want to look good because they're equipped to do it. But I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. This is the process that God uses to change us. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Early in the chapter, 
Paul is explaining about Moses coming down from the mountain. And when he comes down from the mountain, he has the Ten Commandments, but the people of Israel had been in sin. And he begins to communicate this ministry of the law that he has with him. And as he's communicating with them, they can't look on his face continuously because his face is reflecting the glory of God that he had seen on the mountain. Remember he said, Lord, I I just want to glimpse your glory. So the Lord put him in this cleft of the rock, covered it, passed by, and then Moses could see what was left after God passed by. And that glory that Moses saw was reflected in his face. Now, I believe that if the children of Israel had not been in sin, that they would not have had a problem looking on Moses' face. You don't have a problem seeing the glory of God when you're right with God. But they did have a problem with that. And God uses this as an illustration to say that they could not understand or they could not completely comprehend the glory of God But we have a better ministry, and that is through the gospel. That is through the word of God. And now here's what he says. That that veil that they had to put over Moses' face so that the glory didn't bother them that much, that that veil can be taken away when their heart turns to God. And the same is true for us. If you have a heart that is hard towards God, an unwilling, disobedient heart, that is like a veil between you and Scripture you will not understand it like you want to. But if you have a heart that says, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do, whatever you show me in this message, whatever you show me in my devotional time, I will do it. That is a heart that that veil is taken away. And so he says in verse 18, he says, but we all with open face, no veil, meaning a, a, a willing heart, but we all with open face, looking, beholding as in a glass, Not just Moses' face that reflected the glory of God, but an actual mirror that would reflect more accurately. The Word of God is that glass. It's not a face. It's the actual reflection of God in His Word. If we come to His Word with an open and willing heart, what happens? We We see the glory of the Lord and are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. That we are progressively changed to be like Jesus Christ as we look in His Word with an open heart by the Spirit of God. God will change you if you are in His Word. God will do miraculous changes. You may not be able to feel it. You may not be able to see it, except in the ways that you know this is what I need to obey. This is what I need to do. God will use you in powerful ways just by submitting yourself to His Word. And Paul is saying, Timothy, get in God's Word because the things that you lack in life, God will add those things to you. God will change you. God will make you what you want to be and what He wants you to be, but it's going to be through His Word. And God's going to change other people through you, Timothy, but it's going to be through His Word. Timothy, you've got to get in God's Word. It's a special book. It's a book that's going to instruct you, and it's a book that's going to change you. Now, my, ask, my, my question to you tonight is this. Are you in God's Word? Is it something that you have made a staple in your life, as Job said, more important than my necessary food, that it is something that I must be in because it's that important to me? As a believer, what Paul is saying, that you ought to say that, that you need to say that, that, it, that the Word of God is, is, is vastly important to you as an individual. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to give you this opportunity. 
maybe there's a young person or an older person, somebody in this room today that would say, you know what, I, I've been convicted in this message that I don't know Jesus as my Savior, that there's not been a time where I turn to God and ask Him to forgive me of my sins. And preacher, I want you to pray for me because God really spoke to my heart about that tonight. If that's you, would you raise your hand anywhere in the room? God spoke to my heart about being saved. And I need that. I, I, see, I see a hand. Anybody else? Anybody?